Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. On today's episode, comedian, TV host and Whovian Rove McManus swings by to discuss the opening to the new Doctor Who season. My name is Justin Hamilton and let's synchronise watches. No, scrap that. I'm not wearing a watch while I'm here at Big Squid. for joining me here today. Uh, a big welcome to a whole lot of people who have just signed up to this podcast. We've had a whole lot of new subscribers. We've had some new Patreon people, and I really appreciate it. And if you're new to the podcast, if this is your first time listening to it or you're only a couple of episodes in, this is a podcast where my friends and I talk about what we're loving in the world of entertainment and in the process maybe we'll help you find something that will appeal to you too. You don't always have to be a fan of things, but my friends and I, we do love what we talk about. It doesn't mean we don't sometimes get a bit disappointed. It doesn't sometimes mean that we feel a bit negative towards something, but we're always coming from the angle of wanting to love it. And One of the reasons we are going to be talking about Doctor Who is that I have been a fan of Doctor Who for a long time, and my good friend, Rove McManus, he's an even bigger fan than me, and we were just talking about how excited we were to see where they're going to take these last few episodes of the Jodie Whittaker Doctor, and it is a six-part Doctor Who series, and we're going to be breaking down each new episode every Monday, and I'm just going to tell you straight up, I really enjoyed the latest episode, and I'm really looking forward to not only discussing it with Rove, but also hearing your thoughts as well. Uh, if you write to us via Twitter, please use the hashtag AU, or you can share your thoughts with me at the Big Squid Facebook page, and uh, I'll add them to the podcast for next week, and Rove and I can answer some of your questions. Uh, as I said, we've also had a lot of people sign up to our Patreon, so a big thank you to 
all of those subscribers uh, by signing up. If you haven't already, you have access to scripts, competitions, uh, bonus podcasts. Uh, we're going to be doing a new Q&A with Cameron James. So I'm going to be getting questions from our Patreon subscribers and they will help shape that specific podcast. So it's uh, there's a lot going on over there and we're planning on adding more to it. Uh, you also have an episode that is dedicated to you and our Patreon subscriber for this episode is Claire. And I have a feeling, Claire, you'll be wrapped to be scoring a Doctor Who episode of this podcast. Uh, I know Claire from a long time now. She's been coming to gigs. I used to see her all the time at live comedy before the COVID lockdowns, you know, really shut away the, the stand-up world here. And it's... Uh, disappointing is not just for the comedians, but I know for the fans of stand-up and not being able to get out there. So, Claire, I hope with everything opening up that you're not only enjoying this podcast, but you're able to get to the comedy rooms and see some gigs soon. Thank you very much for supporting all of us that work here on the podcast. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Doctor Who as much as I did. And you'll hear Rove and I discussing that very soon. Uh, just so you know, we have two more podcasts coming out this week. I'll tell you more about that uh, at the end of this episode. I really want to get into this chat. I'm very excited to bring Rove in because there is a lot to discuss in episode one of Flux as our favourite Gallifreyan must confront the Halloween apocalypse. Who are you? I'm the Doctor. This is Jazz. This is Dan. There's no use being squeamish. We've got the future to save. So uh, one of our listeners, Darren Burgess, and I feel like this is a good way for us to start chatting about this. He wrote to me and he said that he thought the first episode was a great opener, suitably scary, lots of threads that I really hope create a satisfying tapestry. And he's wrapped that Sontarans are not only back, they're appropriately comical and their tongues are right back in the fore of uh, what's going on with these guys. My my first memories of a Sontaran is it turning around, like they take the helmet off, they turn around in the Time Warrior, John Pertwee, and you you see the tongue, just this yeah. tongue sort of horribly and creepily just jutting in and out like a <laughs> horny lizard and good that it was back. And also good that we have, well, certainly one of them, played by Dan Starkey, who has more recently played the more comical Sontarans in, in recent years, especially the very popular, depending on your point of view, Strax with the 11th yeah. Doctor. So at first I thought, oh, it's good that someone's kind of taken on the same affectation as his voice and then throwing the credits. Oh, no, it was actually him. So that's, right. that's a nice little nod because, you know, somewhere he would have been hearing that potentially Sontarans were back and would be very, very hopeful that you get the call because I'm yeah. sure that's not always guaranteed. Oh, yeah, definitely. I like the Sontarans. They feel mildly underutilised in a good way as Who villains. They've only turned up like enough for us to consider them to be mainstays, but not that often as well. 
Yeah, and I think it's okay to make them comical. I think sometimes the problem is with things like Daleks and things like I'm sure we'll get to the Weeping Angels, as we've talked before, um, the silence. These um, villains, if you want to use that term, but these monsters, that if you make them scary, they could, if that's what they they live on, if that's their cachet, you have to be careful because too many foiled attempts at victory and a Dalek becomes less scary when it's screaming exterminate. You're like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'm sure. Um, So the fact that you've got the Sontarans, which are slightly comical if you need them to be, I think helps with their longevity. So they look scarier now. That's what I think is is a great start but the fact that there was a little bit of you smell really bad no really bad and then the hologram <laughs> counterpart going okay let's not dwell on that yeah was just a, a very nice exchange that that made me laugh and also made me think oh good we haven't completely rewritten our modern day sontarans because the first images of them in the trailer had me thinking oh we're going back to classic looking Sontarans and does that mean they're going to be more serious so I like the fact that there's still a bit of comic relief in there yeah look I before we even get into uh, the script the overall feeling of this whole episode was the most positive I felt towards uh, Doctor Who in a while uh, there's in previous seasons uh, th- there's been episodes that I've liked here or there or bits and pieces but uh, there's been a lack of cohesiveness for me and this one felt strong all the way from the beginning right to the end and it's uh, like it really left me thinking oh, I can't wait for next Monday now yeah, I I certainly felt that way with the woman who fell to earth, Jodie Whittaker's first episode. I thought yeah. it showed a lot of promise and potential. Um, the more recent or her second series kickoff with Spyfall, the two-parter, apart from the reveal of the master, I wasn't really gripped by the story so mm. much. Um, but this one uh, did... The story has me really intrigued, especially I like the fact that we're heading into six. Yes. A six-part a six story. Yep. Um, fans of the classic era will probably be reminded of the really the final run of um, the sixth Dr. Colin Baker trial of the Time Lord, which was one, well, they said it was one long 12-part story, but it's actually linked uh, individual stories. And I thought this was going to be where Chibnall was going to start. I thought it was going to be, there was talk of he's got a writer's room together because he's known for things like Broadchurch, the idea that Doctor Who would have a to be continued at the end of every episode and we would be following one long storyline. I was mildly disappointed that that didn't happen first time around. So the fact that it's happening now has me very excited and there's lots of little breadcrumbs that have been dropped into this. Um, How many of them pay off, as always, in Doctor Who, we shall see. And will we be satisfied? That will be an even bigger question. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I wonder if uh, Chibnall should always have been approaching Doctor Who like this, because I love Broadchurch, and he Mm. knows how to tell a long-form story. So I wonder if... You know, in his desire to make good Doctor Who, he kind of got away from what is, you know, a strength in his writing. 
Also, what is the mandate from the BBC? Yeah. Um, a, lo- a lot of criticism that has come out in, in recent months has been even when we were down to, you know, weeks out of the show starting, there was no trailer, there was no release date, and people are saying, where on earth is Doctor Who? We we know it's coming, it's been announced. We know there's only six episodes and then there's a special. So on pure maths alone, this has to start at the end of October because yeah. otherwise there's not enough time to get six episodes out before the end of the year. So, um, yeah, so this uh, this criticism of the secrecy of Chris Chibnall keeping his cards close to his chest uh, uh, has also fallen on, well, maybe this is just the BBC charter and they're not allowed to announce things when they like because they, or for them, it's a worry if they announce the the release date, they actually have on-air competition because Doctor Who is one of the few shows remaining that actually exists in a time slot that is important. It's not just available to stream on the day of your choice. Um, It's bread and butter is still its Sunday night time slot on the BBC. So similarly with this, the idea that, well, why didn't, why didn't Chris Chibnall just do this to begin with might have actually been the BBC saying that's not how we do Doctor Who. Doctor Who has to be able to have viewers drop in on episode three, come back for episode four, um, find it again years, months later where they can just pick an episode at random and enjoy it. That's how modern Doctor Who is done. So I don't know how much of this is him and how much is the position he finds himself in. But either way, it's nice that it's happening now to have one story arc. So are you implying that sometimes the forces in TV can affect the creativity of the people who are trying to produce work? (laughs) Sacrilege. How on earth? The idea that the powers that be would tell creators... We know how to do this. Thank you wow. very much. Just seems bizarre. Anyway, thank goodness I never had to do with that. I dragged you into this kicking and screaming to hand over the mantle of this thing that you really love to someone who is an award-winning creator, but please let us tell you how to do it. <laughs> well, well, well. Let's get right into the episode. Oh, let's do it. Yeah. This is exciting. Yeah, and uh, let's, let's go right from the first scene with the Doctor and Yaz held upside down in a situation that they can't possibly escape. And what is it about the Doctor holding on for dear life in an impossible situation that we enjoy seeing so much? Because it feels like this is something that I see all the time and I feel very comfortable with it. I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's always great when you start an adventure midway through uh, or towards the end. I think it's very important to have this idea that the Doctor and Yaz have been travelling for a while we didn't just lose our previous companions graham and ryan and then leapt straight into this story i like that there's this suggestion and there is a little bit later on too of all the things that they've done together yeah um also for very hardcore fans it gives the audio adventures with the big finish company somewhere to go as well in the future yeah um but i like it I'd always hope that we'd get at least a run with just the two of them on their own or one Christmas special or something with them on their own. 
Um, but um, but that's okay. I do. I love seeing them together, and even before they meet up with the damn character, a lot of the episode is just the Doctor and Yaz running around, um, just blowing the Brechtel test out of the water. Yeah. Um, even one scene with the two of them and then another female character called Claire talking around the TARDIS. Yeah. And I went, there's three women in a scene on television. This is amazing. Yeah, in a sci-fi See, show. Done. Once yeah. again, yes, yeah. take that. A horrible sci-fi hardcore fans who are not my doctor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, the interplay between the two of them was really great. There was there was jeopardy. There was also that wonderful humour that you love with the doctor. Yeah. All that stuff with um, the handcuffs. Or oh, maybe I um, set this when <laughs> when I was um, Scottish. I had, a, I had a Scottish accent. Yeah. Um, which is great because there's been more than one Scottish accent actor to play the doctor. So that was yeah. nice. Um, and look, I don't want to get too deep into theorizing and things like that, but the idea that the doctor has handcuffs in her pocket and then when they fall back into the TARDIS, there is a double bed in the console room and the doctor talking to Yaz later on and saying, hey, what about all those amazing things I've shown you as all those fan fiction people who is who have loved the idea of the Thasman couple as they are called of uh, 13 and, and Yaz together yeah um, this keep the fan fiction fires burning for for many a day I'm sure I was fascinated <laughs> you went there. by you the went mattress there. I did like as soon as they landed on a mattress that's like why have they been having a sleepover just in the TARDIS room. Like, don't they have their yeah. own bears? But I love yeah. it. Like, it's great. Exactly. It's, it's never exactly. lingered on. Yeah. Like, you could ignore it. You could you could have totally missed it. This might be the first time yeah. that someone's listening to it who would think, oh, yeah, they did land on a mattress, but it was yeah. great. Yeah, but also just I do appreciate when there's just a little something like that for fandom to chew on. It could just be, yeah, there's a bed in there. Had they been sharing it, not sharing it, maybe the doctor was working overnight on stuff. Like, it's not referenced, which yeah. leaves fandom just to enjoy it or ignore it as they see fit. But because there has been all these theories about or hopes that the doctor and Yaz might end up together at some point, um, putting something in there to give those who want it to be true proof that it could be, I think is actually quite nice. Yeah, I think it's quite uh, quite sweet as well. And there's been something for me uh, uh, quite asexual about this version of the Doctor, which I, I I'm not necessarily against. But there was, I, I think, you know, when we were uh, talking about the last season, I, the the Tesla episode. You know, you have uh, the the really handsome actor uh, Goran Vishni, Vishni, uh, uh, yes. yeah, and uh, it, it felt ripe for a little little romantic episode. Oh, of course, if the Doctor's going to be interested in anyone, it would be Nicholas Tesla. And yeah. it just kind of seemed like it, and then they just, it just never eventuated. And there was a part of me that was like, felt like a missed opportunity. So if if this is because she and Yaz are gal pals, fantastic. I love it. But also it's great that um, we haven't had every single episode with some macho guy trying to hit on the attractive female yes. doctor. Yeah. Um, is, it would be a trap that could be fallen into quite easily, but neither has it been played that she is almost that Matt Smith, Patrick Troughton sort of playful um, 
uh, fun doctor that doesn't and childlike doctor that that doesn't sort of see the world in that way. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that they can still make her a very strong and forthright character. Yeah. Um, uh, but just don't have to play that, that that card. She can just be. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, I like that as well. And I thought that's opening, as you said, we just start right in the middle of it. They've been having adventures. Their relationship is a little bit passive-aggressive in points in a way that long-term couples can be. <laughs> and I really enjoyed that evolution in the writing as well. Yeah. And there's a, there was a, a reference later in the episode um, where Yaz said something about, um, you know, the doctor's just telling her, here's the plan. When they get on um, Carvanista, the the dog guy, when yeah. they get on his spaceship and the doctor's just uh, info-splaining, here's what we need to do, got it, and then runs off. And Yaz just says to herself, do you understand all that, Yaz? No, I don't, Doctor. Okay, then great, which was yeah. just a really nice nod to, yeah, the amount of times the Doctor just barrels all this gobbledygook at the companions and then runs off and hands them a weapon and says, you, you'll know what to do, and the episode just plays out. It's just nice to acknowledge that sometimes. Yeah. Or Yaz, Yaz saying, hey, you don't always tell me what's going on or what you're thinking, um, which has been a bit of a through line for this doctor. It's yeah. nice to see that, yeah, that's still there and still something the doctor still has secrets, which I think is important. Yeah. Um, and whether some of those will play out as this story progresses will be, uh, once again, interesting to see. Yeah. But also the, the, a nice little, I like the idea of um, in the, that opening scene, um just the word kill this or the phrase kill discs yeah. is great. Just when yeah. you think we've run out of taking two different words and shoving them together in Doctor Who to get a space wall or a um, sonic screwdriver, you go yeah. kill discs. Love it. Great. And and a little reference to uh, uh, Nitro 9 by the Doctor, which is a throwback to the seventh Doctor's companion, Ace, which is a nice little thing for fandom. Yeah, and done in a way where, uh, you know, if you're across the continuity, you get a little bonus, and if you're mm. not, it's another place that they've been yeah. to, and that's fine yeah. as well. I think that's always the way I enjoy it the most. It can never You never want that bit of continuity to determine whether you can enjoy the rest of the episode. Yeah, exactly. And it's kind of cool. I like when you just still get those elements of, to me, what makes the character of the Doctor the Doctor. It doesn't matter which actor's playing it or saying it, but lines like uh, ready and Yaz says no and the Doctor says me too. I love not being ready. It's yeah. just that sort of let's just throw shit at the wall and see what happens. I think that's uh, that. that's what to me makes this character and when you get lines like that always makes me smile. Yeah, and I also uh, was really into the fact that uh, Carvanista, is that how you pronounce his name? It's always hard I with so, new yes. words. Um, I, I like that it wasn't a pre-sequence uh, throwaway villain. Uh, Carvanista was uh, central to the major plot. And did, did, did the physical form of Carvanista remind you of anything from another TV show? Because I immediately felt like it was like a progression from something else. Well, it looked very much like a, a giant Ewok or something. Right. Um, uh, I, I was pleased that, because when I first heard his accent, I was like, is that Eccleston? It sounds very much right. that very Christopher Eccleston style. 
accent. And I was going to be very intrigued to find out who the actor was, not realizing that it was going to be playing the whole way through the episode. Yeah. Um, Craig with an E, so I think it might be Craig. Uh, L's I've never heard of before, so apologies if everyone's listening to this and screaming at me for not knowing. But um, I thought he was great, and I like that he the character was slightly, again, like the Sontaran, slightly comical. Yeah. Because I think you have to be careful when he looks the way he does if you try to play him too seriously. There was a lot of mockery over him being, you know, like a – a Chewbacca kind of character when the trailer came out. But I like the idea of his race um, being like a dog man's best friend. But if you call them a dog, they find that very insulting. Um, uh, And that each one of them has a human being to protect. Yeah. Is a a great idea. I always find it very fascinating, the idea that, okay, if you have a, a, a race of alien that looks like something else. So on the planet of Endor in Star Wars, there are creatures that look almost identical to bears. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, or this in this case, you've got a planet where there, there are dog people. Um, that what does that mean for the dogs that we have on our planet? Are they some sort of throwback to aliens? Apparently you can't call... Uh, Lupari, um, yeah. a nice plan, Lupine, the wolf. Um, yeah. You can't call them dogs because that's an insult. So they know of dogs. But it's like that idea of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that dolphins are from outer space. Yeah. I always like a little something like that. It has you suddenly go, so every dog that's running around on Earth, is are they from somewhere? Like the, was the very first dog, what, did it crash land here on an asteroid the yeah. first wolf, and then that's where they've come from. I don't mind that sometimes, but it did have. It reminded me of. Um, oh, I, sh- I should have looked this up. The the character that was in the. Uh, I'm going to have to look it up. But um, who did you? Who did it remind you I, of? I, I don't think this was intentional. I just felt like these were the evolution of the dogs that get really smart in Rick and Morty. <laughs> you know. <they> t- <laughs> Was it Snowball? Wasn't that Snowball? I think so, yeah. So that was, uh, you know, the evolutionary uh, descendants of those dogs coming back to, you know, pay off their debt, as it were. That would be great. But um, Um, have you found it? No, it's, it's, yeah, don't worry about it. It's not important. We'll move on. The... um, uh, I I love the character as well. I thought, uh, you know, quite, quite clearly dangerous good at the job, has to go and protect a human, kind of not into it. You know, it's yeah, just it's just yeah. a little bit annoying for him. And, uh, you know, I was kind of hoping that he'll stick around for the next five episodes. I thought he, I, you know I thought there was a lot of good introductions of characters. I had the exact same thought. I liked the idea of him being like um, a Madame Vastra character that we yeah. saw with the, the 11th Doctor, this idea of... And and, and uh, the twelfth a little bit as well. Um, this idea of a character that sort of comes in and out of the Doctor's adventures. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like we're going to be seeing a bit more of him during the course of the run. But um, I also liked his. Was it Stun Cube? Is that what they yeah. called it? His. Like when we saw the the 
Ice Warriors episode in Capaldi's final run where they had a gun that just took a human being and crushed them yeah. into a ball. Yeah. Again, after we're very closely approaching 60 years of this television show, that there's this new invention that someone's come up with to go, okay, when they shoot a gun, what happens? And it, it releases like an electronic cage that locks someone in like a hologrammatic coffin is what it looked like at first. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting that it was called a stun cube because it certainly didn't look like a cube. It looked more like a rectangular prism, but I don't want to get into that too much. <laughs> and also, look, I'll always say this about a character. When, um, when his weapon comes back online on his spaceship as the Doctor, Yaz and Dan are trying to escape and he's shooting at them, blowing holes in his spaceship. Yeah. Like the amount of times you see that on um, shows like this where you're like, don't fire a weapon inside your ship. If yeah. your ship is not made to withstand having your weapon fired inside it. Yeah, you've you got to work on your anger issues because I know how this ends, you getting sucked out of that hole that you've just made. <laughs> yeah, but on that, wasn't it a great little um, um, uh, part of his character, a wonderful little trait, and I don't know if it was necessarily scripted or if it was one of those things, the actor or the director, and again, shouts to Jamie Magnus Stone, who did the Spyfall uh, debut as well for last series, back to yeah. this one. He does big action stuff really well, got this one right. But when um, the gun wasn't working and his transporter wasn't working and he would just sniff it, his, oh, yeah. his, thing was, <laughs> his thing was to just sniff it like a dog, like, oh, this doesn't look like it's working, rather yeah. than look at it or tap it with his hand. He, he would always sniff it. It happened like only two times, but it was yeah. enough to have you go, oh, that's a, that's a cute little thing. I like that. Yeah, so in I- one episode, we've got a lot of different layers to this character yeah. that um, both in portrayal and scripting and performance uh, direction that I think um, makes him a very exciting idea of, well, I hope we get more of him, he, you know, it looks good. I don't think it looks yeah. great, but it looks good. Look good and- enough. And good enough. Exactly right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, his introduction was great. Uh, I really enjoyed our first taste of John Bishop as Dan Lewis. I thought that uh, first appearance of him in the museum, what what did that all last? Like about two minutes all up? And hmm. I felt like I got a clean sense of where they want to take the character very uh, – uh, it was quite muscular in the way they just got through it. Yeah, I must admit I haven't looked up um, a lot of stuff about John. Did you know him? Did you know of him before they announced his yeah. casting? Yeah, yeah, he's not, a stand-up. Yeah, yeah, I've seen bits and pieces of him over the years, and, and found him uh, to be really funny. So, mm. uh, but I would not pretend to know a lot about his work. So I came at it pretty uh, with not a lot of baggage. Yeah, I think this. It wasn't like the announcement of Matt Lucas um, in his when Nardole, the character of Nardole, came in even the first time, let alone as a regular. Um, either you went, there was, well, you either were a fan or maybe not a fan, but you, you knew who he was. Like you've, you've seen enough of his work either through Little Britain or the films he's done. Yeah. It seemed with, with John Bishop, there was a little bit of, it was you were either on one of two sides, which was, oh, wow, that's really interesting, or who? 
That was yeah. it. There was no, I don't feel like there was an in-between. I thought he was really good. I was a little nervous at the start when, you know, handsome, muscular Dan hasn't got a cent to his name. Right. Yeah. So he's so decent. He would work at the museum for free or just on the odd morning. He's whatever he's got, he's giving to the poor, even though his cupboard is almost literally bare of food. Um, And I'm like, I get it. He's a nice guy. Okay. But also his clothes are okay. He looks like he's got a pretty nice jacket on. And with a face like that, I feel like he wouldn't be too down and out if he really had to. Yeah. Um, And what has he done up until this point to be penniless? But um, thankfully we didn't dwell on that too much before we just got into it. Um, And, yeah, I'll be interested to see if there's more to his character than just, well, he was the first one taken off the planet because uh, Carvanista was early getting his human out or whether there's, because initially it was like, why Dan, yeah. why has he been taken? But he's obviously playing catch up. And I like that he hasn't jumped in front of the doctor and he has, he's, he's still, what's going on? Yeah. Slightly dim-witted perhaps yeah. when the doctor says, hey, this is your house. Yeah. And it's shrunk and he goes, I can't live in that. Yeah. And and not tongue in cheek, it's like, wait a minute, that's the, how am I supposed to live in this tiny house? It's like, well, yeah, of course. But I like that that's, that was part of his uh, character. Also, you know, he can be uh, a bit of a smart ass when it's the doctor saying, you know, welcome to the TARDIS, it's bigger on the inside. And he sarcastically says, oh, yeah, I had a mate with one of these. It was slightly bigger. Yeah. Um, just uh, I like that side of his character as well. So, again, I was wary of Dan coming in because I didn't want us to either miss out on some of the Doctor and Yaz adventures and relationship building or, B, feel like there was no faith in two female leads. Yeah. But I like his addition to the show and I do think he will fit well and yeah. I like the idea of, of where where he could take the series. It gives Yaz a bit of status too to allow her to sort of be in charge. Oh, yeah, I like that as well. Well, you know, it's like we've, we meet him, we know he has a love of history, uh, mm-hmm. we also know that he has a job that he doesn't want to go back to, uh, so he's making a definitive choice of trying to do something that he feels passionately about. Uh he does have someone who cares for him. He's meant to go on that date. Uh, so we don't know how that's going to kind of play into it. I, I, I didn't kind of take it that he was poor through not being able to get work. I felt like maybe the implication is he's disconnected from his previous life. So there is uh, – he's making a choice that is uh, – to be more positive and do something better than what he was doing. So I, I felt like there was there's something substantial to him. Yeah, I liked the inference of the relationship between him and uh, Diane, Di, yep. um, who, is, who does work at the museum. Um, and, and her, we'll get to that later, I'm sure, her being taken yeah. towards the end of the episode. Again, whether there's any importance in that or not. Um, 
I, I like the fact that, um, uh, you know, great casting that, she, you know, she's only got one arm, but it's not important to the story. Yeah. Um, I think things like that are just when you see when you see that you go, yeah, of course, why not? Why yeah. not? Absolutely, there, there should be more of that. That's that's great inclusive casting, and and I, and I, I lo- I, it's you acknowledge it, but then it doesn't. You know, I only acknowledge it to say, isn't this a good thing? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I feel it could have quite easily have been something that we didn't mention at all. Yeah. Um, which which to me makes that work. Um, but her saying, don't keep me waiting, the late Dan Lewis, which suggests either he has a reputation for being late or is there some reference to something about Dan that we don't quite know yet yeah. um, as anyone who has passed away will be referred to as being the late somebody. Oh, yeah. So, you know, in trying to look at, yeah, are there any clues in this episode yet or not, Will um, that was one that sort of stood out to me. But I like... Again, I like where we've met Dan and and I like the idea of where he could go from here. Yeah, I, I, you know, you start to wonder, okay, is Dan's love of history going to help us solve whatever the mystery is in the 19th century with the tunnels that are being dug and what they're being carved out yeah. for? And we've got, of course, uh, weeping, angels, weeping Angels in the mix um, as we know, they're notorious for um, sending people back in time. Yeah. Um, as we saw with the character of Claire, a very interesting character. Um, yes. In just her brief moment, oh, we have met just not for you yet. Yeah. As is always a wonderful thing to have in Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, so whether she has gone back to where the Williamson guy is digging his tunnel. Yeah. Um, and it keeps apparently twisting and turning and we're not sure why it seems to be lacking in direction according to his mate. And I'm trying to think, well, maybe is there what he's digging for perhaps could be the TARDIS coming back and it keeps coming in and out and just right. when he thinks it's in one spot, it moves to another. So he's tunneling to try to catch up with it. Um but again, enough little things that as the episode moves on, you forget about that guy. Yeah. Until at the end of the episode, there's all the flashes of everybody being affected by the flux. He is one of them, which has you thinking, right, we're not going to see the, we haven't seen the end of this guy. Yeah. I don't think he's the most important character we're going to see this series, but certainly there's something in, in what he's trying to do with this tunnel and to him, how important it is that yeah. we'll, we'll come back. Um so, yeah, great great to see a bit of that coming in at this early stage. I, I had no idea that the Weeping Angels were in it. I had seen, uh, you know, I don't think I'd seen a trailer or maybe if I had seen a trailer, I saw it once and it was ages ago that I'd forgotten. But uh, I, I like the Weeping Angels and I also think one is enough. I like having one floating around, kind of working mm by itself so uh when claire kind of mentioned that you know she was taking the long way home which is kind of like a doctor who uh ongoing reference isn't it so mm-hmm. and yes. then the weeping angel turned up it was it was tasty it was a nice surprise yeah there's there's a lot of of those type of references it's on tyrants as well um if you haven't seen the trailer i won't mention too much about other other 
things that we will have the, the chance to see this series. Um, the fact that the character of Vinda and yes, to any Game of Thrones fans who might be listening to this with um, the character of Grey Worm there. Um, I hope he's got all of his bits back in place. Yes. <laughs> he He's on a space station outpost called Rose, which I think is a very obvious nod for fandom again to sort of question and chew over. I think it's really just to sort of do exactly that. I don't yeah. know that we get any more out of it being called Rose, but again, I think it's just a nice thing to have in there. Um, so all these little um, elements that are coming in from the doctor's past is all very interesting for what the reason for the flux could be and I guess for how the character of um, Storm plays into it. Right. Now villain. Is it is it Storm or is it Swarm? Swarm, sorry. Swarm. Yes, Swarm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, it, it was interesting seeing the Doctor's mind, you know, yanked away by this new villain. And uh, what, what was your take on Swarm? For me, it was like, it's great to see the Red Skull get another gig after <laughs> Avengers yeah, Endgame. Yeah, there a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, Look, it's hard. It's always hard to sort of design a, an alien, yeah. nasty in Doctor Who because there's little bits of crystal coming out of his head, which we've yeah. kind of seen in hand of fear for some characters and um, uh, the Ravages, I think it was, is another, yeah, another potential one that we've seen. But I think it's just he he just looks the way he looks. Looks, you know, look good. Also, a bit of Skeletor from He Man mixed yeah. in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have uh, look. I think I thought it was really cool that first scene where he's being checked on, and they're like, "Don't, don't talk to him." And then, of course, he starts going, "Oh, this is your last, uh, last tour, is it?" No, this is this is what you said not to do. Yeah, don't talk to him. Don't yeah. let him get in your head. Yeah. But when she said, "You're you're trapped in here, and you're going to be trapped in here for a long time," and he said, as soon as he says wrong. I immediately jumped up and just went, oh, where are we going with this? Yeah. And the effects that they've put in for his transformation and when he would take people and just disintegrate them yeah, looked spectacular. That looked money and I loved it. Yeah. Um, but this, the idea that when he had that dream sequence or got in the doctor's head and he's like, you don't remember me, do you? Wow, they... Well, not was it wasn't they, it was it, wasn't there a reference yeah. to it? It was well, so efficient. There's not a tiny corner of, of you that remembers you and I dancing across space and time locked in combat after so long apart. We get to do it once more, except I remember every battle, which gives me the advantage. Sounds very much like the master. Yeah. And we have left off with the doctor with all this timeless child information and whether this is linked into that or not, I guess we will see. That's where I get a little bit worried is, okay, we could have now a a Doctor Who is notorious for setting up uh, characters that have a long history with the Doctor that we have just never known about before. Yeah. Um, I remember when the character of Madame Vastra, the Sontaran, the Sontaran, the um, um, 
Oh my gosh, my brain. The Silurian. Silurian. Thank you. The Silurian um, Victorian detective came in in uh, A Good Man Goes to War. And and with Jenny and Strax, her offsiders, I. I had a moment of like, oh, did I miss some episodes of the show where this character was introduced? And then you realise, no, no, you didn't. We've just added her in where there's been some adventures you didn't know about. Yeah. So I feel like the Swarm character could either be we're creating a new villain character for the Doctor like we did with the Tim Shaw, Tim Shaw character previously, yeah. um, giving her a new villain to play with. Or there's a reveal of this is another origin offshoot for the Master or the Rani or some other villainous Time Lord that we don't know about just yet. So I will just reserve my judgment at this point and just enjoy what is a very genuinely scary character Yeah, um, that I, I... obviously assume is our big bad for this run. So we'll see, we'll see where it leads. I like the potential of it, but I'm not going to get myself too overly excited for what the outcome or reveal of who this character is. Could yeah. be. We still have a timeless child to sort out because we yeah. haven't really properly got to the bottom of that just yet. So that too has to come around either in this six, six episodes or the uh, two hours of television that remain for Jodie Whittaker after that. Yeah. And I don't know that we have all the time in the world to do that. So uh, I will just wait and see what happens with this yeah. guy and his sister, who are pretty cool. But yeah. I can't help but think the house that Die got dragged into at the end was, interestingly, very bigger on the inside. Yeah. And so are these some sort of... Gallifrey and Time Lord characters, or at least have stolen a TARDIS, so we 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 could have something there. Are they potentially a part of the Doctor's original race? Yeah, could be. Like this is it again, isn't it? It's um, you know, for anyone who's playing catch up, and if you are, why the fuck are you listening to this? Um, <laughs> we've left the timeless child idea of. The race of people that the Doctor comes from, of course, have time travel capabilities, but they were brought from this mysterious timeless child that just was abandoned on the planet Gallifrey where the Doctor came from, and lo and behold, this is the Doctor. She was this timeless child. Except we have no proof of that because the only person who uh, knows this and told the Doctor is her arch nemesis. (laughs) Right. So... I've always thought, well, maybe the master got the information a bit wrong and maybe the master is the timeless child. The master is the one who's from another planet. And um, uh, so what does that mean for how many masters we've seen and the origin story of the master, which at the moment was, oh, they knew each other when they were kids, but, again, who knows? So whether this character has something to do with that, Possibly, possibly. But um, at the very least, the idea of another character that's sort of been running around with the Doctor's retirement space is intriguing to see where it leads. Certainly that scene 
when it was like, you don't remember, do you, all that we've been through, I did once again sit up and, and was waiting for, you know, when there's only, I think, 10 minutes left of the episode, you're like, oh, are we about to get a massive bombshell like we did with the master reveal yeah. in Spikeball Part 1. But it was just a very big carrot and... I don't want to be the guy that says sometimes those carrots will keep getting dangled and you as a fan feel like the donkey that's forever walking and never able to get the carrot in the last couple of series. But we're not done yet, so yeah. I want to get political. Yeah, I'll be positive towards it, but I'm not. I'm going to hold back a complete investment in the off chance it's like the crack in the universe that is just <laughs> never quite... That's, that's- Perfect. That's the perfect comparison to make. Yeah. Exactly right. And I would like, uh, you know, a, a showrunner comes in and they put uh, what they want to add to the mythology. Uh, you know, it happens in all sorts of uh, uh, characters. Like, you know, someone takes over writing Batman. They bring what they want to bring to the character. And with uh, regardless of how I feel about the Timeless Child idea, I would rather just see Chibnall... completely just follow it through. I would just rather see his pure, unadulterated thoughts and ideas, even if it's not necessarily for me. I'd rather see his vision complete than, you know, doing it kind of half-heartedly or only committing two-thirds of the way. Yeah, I'm not. I'm certainly not one of those people that's mad at the idea of the timeless child or even at this point where it sits. I feel like it may well end up being that because we have um, the Ruth character, which is now dubbed the Fugitive Doctor. Yep. yep. Um, and has been confirmed as, no, this is one of the regenerations of the Doctor that we haven't seen. Wh- where she fits yet, we don't 100% have certainty on. So I would feel like you can't suddenly undo everything and go, no, 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 she wasn't really a Doctor, she's something else. Um, because I think a lot of people would be very disappointed by that. Um, so uh, the fact that Chibnall has at least swung for the fences, like you say, to put his stamp on it, because everybody does, you know, you forget when the show started, the Doctor was just an old man with a time and space travelling machine. Yeah. There was no there was no confirmation that he was an alien at all. He said, my people, he obviously, uh, or my time. Um, he never <clears throat> specifically went out of his way to say my planet. Yeah. Um, and and even then the idea that he could change his face happened because the lead actor couldn't continue and they said, well, let's just come up with an idea of, of how to do that. And it was purely, oh, your body just does that when it starts to wear out and get a, a bit a bit uh, run down. But the very first inference was that it was something to do with the TARDIS that did it. It was never yeah. really properly explained. Even the doctor himself was like, oh, I don't really know. It's, it's something we do, but... Um, he never really properly explained it. And he never really, conf- and then we only found out he was a Time Lord um, at the end of the run of the second Doctor, which we're now six years into the series. We didn't yeah. even know he was an alien from another planet 
until his third incarnation, where we're now 10 years into it. Yeah. So, and the fact that he has two hearts wasn't even something that came up until um, the start of the John Pertwee third Doctor era. So all these things that we know about the Doctor, um, the first time we ever saw his planet and the Time Lords wasn't until the fourth Doctor's run. So there's, you know, all these things that the writers and creators and the showrunners of the show endow it with that we as fans then latch on to is now this is rock-solid canon and it can't be changed. But there's a lot of things that even at the time was very controversial. Yeah. Uh, but now we look back on it and go, no, 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 that's just how it is. The Time Lords are dickheads. When the first time that they were revealed to be dickheads, it wasn't actually received very well at all. Um, it was... Um, it was in the Deadly Assassin story. It was like, no, no, they were meant to be like these benevolent monks that kind of look over all of time and space. It wasn't meant to be this political infighting and their puppeteers pulling the strings of everybody in all these different cosmoses. Um, and so it actually wasn't received all that well to begin with. Now we kind of say, yeah, that's just what they're like. Yeah. So same thing with Chibnall. If he wants to up, upend the table like Stephen Moffat went, well, there's actually there's another one. There's yeah. another one between number eight and number nine. Yeah. I'm doing an eight and a half. Yeah. Because it's John Hurt, you won't get mad. Yeah. And now everyone's like, yeah, he was one. There was one yeah. in there. I've, yeah. added a new, I've added a new tattoo on, yeah. my, on my arm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've got to do it. You can't, I don't feel you can sort of just get in, get out and play it safe. You've got to, you've got to keep the story moving and you have to take bold swings and so good on Chibnall for doing it. I, it just, I just hope we get some some sort of satisfying uh, resolution at the end of it. Yeah, and for everyone who is uh, a hate watcher of Doctor Who, which we do have those that sliver of fandom that watch every episode to, so they can complain about it, you should be wrapped that, that it's the time of the internet because back in the day you would have gotten angry, written a letter posted it and had to hope that they printed it in your local paper. So, you know, you should be right. Yeah, the, <laughs> the fanzine that someone had off their um, homemade printer that would come out once every three months if you were lucky. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, would that would be all you could hope for. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so um, we'll see what happens with this, with this swarm character again his sister was sort of hiding around the arctic circle and you know when her um kill disc went off yeah haven't we all just wished we had that snooze alarm to just you know you, you get waking up in the morning and or you get called by someone and you just wish you could smash it with a, an axe yeah. so yeah and she just is like we'll just pretend we didn't get it Man, I got a text message in the last 24 hours that I think was pretty much like that. Oh, yeah. Didn't did get it. Don't know what you're talking about. Yep. Never. Well, what, what happened? My inbox yeah. must have disappeared. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> so that was good. But it, it, that had vibes of the Ruth Doctor yes. character hiding with her mind wiped as well. Yep. So, um, so that too had me going, okay, similarities, but not to say that they're, they're directly linked, but just 
just interesting, interesting yeah, stuff. I had that down. The, the, I thought that mm-hmm. was very reminiscent of how uh, Dr. Ruth got called into action, and uh, mm-hmm. it was interesting to see that parallel. Uh, we've got... Um, so we've got uh, we, we've looked at the uh, uh, Carvinista and, and and all his mates. I really like the I, I like the way that the Doctor brought them together. I thought that was a cool visual of having the mm-hmm. the ships all line up and and create this barrier. Uh, we've got Claire and the Weeping Angel. We've got the Sontarans who are across what's happening, and they seem pretty fired up uh it looks like they're finally able to get back into action i'm really curious to know what's going on with vinder and you know that outpost that he's at he was kind of looking a little bit uh uh michael b jordan killmonger uh Mm, in in his uh look so i'll be curious to see how they all come together Uh, i feel like Personally, didn't think it was too much. I, I thought there was a lot of uh, balls thrown into the air, and I thought each one was interesting, and I can't wait to see how it's all going to coalesce. And I feel weirdly more confident than I probably have in the past two seasons because this is a six-part story. Whereas, you know, in that first season, I remember how excited we were after the first episode, and then the second episode... It was like, great, she's going to still be looking for a TARDIS and this is going to be mm. an ongoing journey and maybe this will be the – oh, no, she found it. And, <laughs> yes. and it was like, oh, well, you kind of set it up in a way that it was going to be part of the, the, the journey of this season because we've only got six episodes and uh, it feels like everything's kind of been pre-planned uh, and I, I feel more confident that things will get paid off. Yeah, it'd be interesting one day to find out, was this the plan? Was it always going to be we're going to do the, the the first run is going to be a very simple strap and down episodic um, second series we'll do. We're going to do these two parters. It's going to be a bit a bit bolder in scope and and we're going to have this massive revelation at the end of series two uh, and then si- the third series we're going to do is just one massive story or has it just come about because of covid yeah. or again this is what chibnall always wanted to do and he can only do it now because it's his he's walking out the door um but certainly i i same as you i like where we are um, because I because I know we have to. There's there's um, six episodes in this run, a couple of specials which are really just going to be, I'm sure, big brassy um, spectacles. One to celebrate the centenary of the BBC, and one to farewell Jody. Um, so we won't get too much of wrapping up canon in that because we don't really have time. Um, so, yeah, unlike episode two where, yeah, oh, she's got her TARDIS and, oh, there's a slight reference to this timeless child that we never heard of again that series yeah, because, well, we've still got a whole second series to go and then a third series to go. Knowing now that this is the race to the finish line, I feel more confident that we will get a lot of answers to questions that are raised in these episodes at the very least. Yeah. And the the 
what, like kind of the last thing that I was uh, I had to bring up with you, but also I wonder if this maybe it fits in with the 19th century tunnels is the geometry of the TARDIS is all over the place, all these different doors. And yes. so maybe it's the TARDIS buried and kind of, uh, you know, not making sense as a shape and maybe that's why the tunnels aren't really following any sort of pattern. That's true. That's a that's a very good point. Um, yeah. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that was one of those ones that you think, okay, that's interesting. Again, I don't like it when, and this is purely my taste. And if it goes the other way, I don't rant and rave. But when the Doctor is this almost literal centre of the universe, when the Doctor is the most important character in the universe, yeah, I like it more. The Doctor just does her thing. Yeah, you're always going to hear. You know, the, the legend of the Doctor will ripple when you do enough sort of ducking in and out of planets and space and time, but shouldn't be the most famous person in the in the entire cosmos. So um, the idea that the flux is trying to get her specifically. Uh, I'm hoping that's not what it's about. But uh, it's interesting that, yeah, the TARDIS is kind of breaking up and it has just been sucked into it too pretty much. Yeah. So that'll be interesting to see what, what becomes of that. And, um, yeah, where, yeah where, where some of this stuff links will be, will be very cool to see. And so things like the Weeping Angels, the Sontarans coming in, some of the other things could just be because it's, you know, as the Doctor's life story gets extracted and put back together itself, maybe that's why all these classic monsters are coming back. Um, The other thing I kind of like about the fact that in the Chibnall era they have always played their cards close to their chest and this time they, as much as they've been super secretive, the trailer has given us a lot of images of this stuff. Right. Which says to me the potential for there's still a big surprise somewhere because they could have kept Weeping Angels hidden from us or Sontarans hidden from us with just amazing shots and cool villains with crystals coming out of their heads um, from this first episode and you would have been hooked uh, without having to play all those cards. So I feel there's still something. We still have a something, a big reveal or a, or a or a, a big um, appearance that um, that is still to come. Maybe of who's pulling the strings. The, um, the division again is been referenced. So there's a, there's a, a lot of paths to go down and a lot of clues at this point. So I'm looking looking forward to seeing them get solved. Yeah. Yeah, I as I said, I'm feeling uh, pretty positive at the end of this episode. I really enjoyed it. I have one final question for you, and it is a fun question. But the doctor mentioned that she went to that famous football match against Barcelona nine times. Yeah. If you can go back in time to watch any sporting event more than once, maybe even nine times, what is that sporting event? Wrestling, professional wrestling doesn't count as a sporting event. No, 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 no. Um, it's, your, it's your trip. I would say, um, uh, look, I, it, maybe it's a recency bias, but I watched my AFL team um, 
the Fremantle Dockers break a very long drought as they beat the other West Australian team, the West Coast Eagles, in what we call our Western Derby in the Battle of State Pride. Um, It didn't look like they were going to take the game out, and they did for the first time in a long, long time in a very packed uh, Optus Stadium here in Perth, which is a beautiful ground. So my first time experiencing this incredible incredible facility watching my team win a very close game and I screamed to myself horse I would happily relive, relive that one that I was there for in in the moment multiple times there with my brother we were very drunk it was great yeah or you you and me watching the Sydney Swans play when neither of us had uh, a, a, a horse in that race we were just watching with the wonderful John Mangos getting very drunk <laughs> on red wine um <laughs> Was equal that you know that too would be that would be a fun one to go back to. Oh yeah, a very fun one to go back to. And then heading across to the comedy store and thinking everyone needed to hear us tell jokes. Yeah, no, uh, and maybe we can skip that part by going back. <laughs> yeah, we, that's we just loop through the game and back again. We wouldn't we wouldn't necessarily head across the road to the comedy store. It's funny. As soon as she said that, I was like, oh, I'd definitely go back and watch the Lakers win Game 7 against the Detroit Pistons in 1988. Uh, There was Roger Federer beating Andy Roddick at Wimbledon in five sets or watching Mats Volander. Oh, yeah. It could be one that I wasn't at. Yeah, yeah. Mats Volander beating Pat Cash at the first uh, Australian Open in five sets. Pat Cash Cash beating Ivan Lendl at Wimbledon. That that would have good. been there. For, I remember the game being allowed to start to watch that as a kid. To yeah, have been there would have been. Well, that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, if it was uh, something that I experienced, I'd go back to the first time I won a championship with my church basketball team, Croydon Kilkenny United. Hashtag never right. went to church, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> We beat the team that was undefeated, and uh, that was that was a big moment at, at the age of eleven. It was a really big moment. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Rove, and uh, we will have you back next week for the second episode in this uh, limited series of Doctor Who. And I'm looking forward to yeah, it. Yeah, and and um, look, because um, we're not doing uh, Whovians this year. Mm. Um, you know, we're all scattered in different states um, with a show that's made in Sydney. Um, thank you, COVID, once again. But um, if anyone wants to throw their uh, thoughts and comments or questions about the episodes and what's coming up and what they thought of this one for us to get to, please still use the hashtag AU so we can find it as well. Yep. Um, and uh, we'll keep the discussions going as well because it would be good to still be able to engage with, um, with people as well. We could even say, hey, you know, if not a race of intergalactic dogs, what other domestic animal would you like to see represented as an alien race, warrior race? Yeah. Let us know. These are the questions that we want to answer. You can uh, use the hashtag of AU on Twitter or uh, go to the Big Squid uh, Facebook page and share your mm-hmm. thoughts and we will get to them next week. But uh, until then, thank you very much, Rove. Well, with respect, sir, of the two of us, my mind is clearly the more robust and rational. Thank 
you to Rove for taking the time to discuss Doctor Who with me. Uh, as we've already said, Rove will return on this feed next Monday when we tackle episode two. A big thank you also to our Patreon subscriber, Claire, for supporting this podcast and the work my friends and I are doing here. Uh, we work diligently on this podcast. Uh, we try to bring as much quality to it as possible and uh, Claire, your support uh, helps us uh, to achieve that. Uh, if you haven't signed up to our Patreon and you would like to have access to the extra podcasts and the scripts, etc., head over to the Patreon site and look up Justin Hamilton Big Squid and you'll be able to join in the fun. If money is tight, and I completely understand that, but you would still like to support us, don't spend any money. How about just a top review on Apple Podcasts or even, at the very least, a recommendation to some friends who might enjoy our work here. Uh, I can't stress, if finances are tough, please don't spend any money on the podcast. Uh, You know, just recommendations is more than enough. You know what? Just enjoying the podcast is heaps as well. So thank you very much. Uh, Tomorrow, AJ Lamarck joins me to share more of his thoughts on the history of Egypt. Uh, When AJ's on, he's an Egyptologist and we talk about all sorts of fascinating things. He's also a great young stand-up comedian. So I'm keen to catch up on where he is at in the world. In tomorrow's episode, I'll also have a review of the new Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark. And I'll also share some of the thoughts that came from our Patreon subscribers about my take on the new Batman trailer. Some interesting uh, thoughts were shared. So that'll all be in tomorrow's podcast. And then on Thursday... Ben Elwood is back and we continue our sci-fi limited series Space Podacy. And this Thursday we are covering Pixar's WALL-E. So if you haven't watched it for a while and you want to watch it beforehand, you still have a few more days to get that under your belt. We always finish this podcast off with a quote. So let's finish today's with a quote from Jodie Whittaker on one of the appeals of The Doctor. Jodie said, There's the chiselled superhero that we're used to seeing and we've all grown up with, but Doctor Who has never been that, which is wonderful. It's attainable in so many ways. Until then. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.